Lord, it is awesome to come to your throne of grace. Lord, I know when I look at my calendar during this Christmas season, it is unbelievably busy. So it's great to be able to come and rest in you. I know many people here this morning are, are weary and there's lots of strains and stresses on them. And so I pray, God, that they would find their rest in you. Well, I'm so grateful that we get to look at you this morning and look at your word and be able to find joy and peace uh, through this Christmas season. Lord, I pray as we open your word that you speak directly to us, you speak, speak directly to our hearts. Meet us where we're at. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Our purpose is going to come up on the screen. If you're new here, we like to say our purpose every week because we're not a country club. We're not just a gathering of people. We like to have fun together, but we have a purpose. We have a mission. So would you say this purpose with me? It's to reach and transform people by the power of the gospel and biblical community. This week, we're looking at Jesus dies for our sins. And as I thought about it this week, it was unbelievably weighty to think about the sin, to think about the things that I've done against God and what he has done for us. And so we're going to look at what the crucifixion really was like and what Jesus endure, endured for the sake of us. But I thought before we did that, that we'd have a connection of what Jesus dying for our sins really means in our life personally. And so I have some people here this morning that are going to share some cardboard testimonies about what God did before their life and after. And so here they are. As soon as I get them. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so grateful for them uh, being a little vulnerable, sharing what God has done in their lives because Jesus dies for our sins. And it's not just a theory. 
It's not just some story that we talk about in church. It actually has meaning. It actually has meaning to have life change in each and every one of our lives. I know that almost everyone in this room, in fact, everyone in this room that is a believer in Christ, I know you have some type of testimony like that, that Jesus has changed you, that Jesus has worked in your life because he dies for our sins. And David did a great job last week of, of looking through uh, the process that, that Jesus went through as he was heading towards the cross. And this week as we go through the book of Mark, we only have a few weeks left. And here we are at the crucifixion. And I'm going to read through about 26 verses. And sometimes you might be wondering, why do I take the time to read 26 verses? Well, it's really important for us to see the whole of Scripture, to see how it all fits together, to see how it's one story about a seeking and saving Savior, Jesus, for us. So let's read together in Mark uh, chapter 15, verse 21. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. And they cast lots to see uh, what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. And the written notice of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, on one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, So, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabathani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on the stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard this cry and how he died, he said, surely this was a man, this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and the younger, and of Joseph and Salmon. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for him and Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, so as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who, was waiting, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he, that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. And he rolled, some, he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. This 
segment of scripture represents the long, dark valley towards the end of the story of Christ's ministry here on earth. The agony that Jesus endured on that cross was excruciating. In fact, the word excruciating actually comes from the word crucifixion. So when we talk about that we have excruciating pain, that something happens in our life, we have excruciating pain, it's referring to what happened on the cross. It's referring to what happened in crucifixion. See, the first century subjects of the Roman Empire knew the process of crucifixion really well. The Roman Empire used the threat of crucifixion to the people to have power over the people because this was an awful way to die. And at that time, most considered it the worst way to die. And so many, uh, many of the Roman guards and Roman, Roman officials, they would use this to lord over the people there. And as we go through this verse by verse, I want you to understand how painful and awful the death was because our sin is painful and awful. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, our sin is also redeemed. Our sin is also forgiven. So even though it is a really, really big deal that we sin against God, it's also not a very big deal because Jesus has covered all of our sin with his righteousness. I don't want this to be a lecture about all of the ins and outs of what a crucifixion is like. That's why we did those cardboard testimonies at the beginning, because we want it to be something that connects to who you are as a follower of Christ. And if you're not a follower of Christ, that you consider becoming one. See, Gethsemane in the garden and Golgotha, it actually leads to glory. See, Jesus is not a victim. He's a volunteer for us as a seeking and saving Savior. See, the agony was necessary for us to have victory. And so as we look through this verse by verse and we see the pain that Jesus went through, know the end of the story. The end of the story is that Jesus was victorious over all of our sin. In verse 20 it says, When they had mocked him, they took off his purple robe and put on his own, his own clothes on him and they led him out to be crucified. He had been beaten. He had been struck over and over and over. He had been lashed. He was completely beaten to a pulp. And so they go and put the cross beam on him that would have been very heavy. It would have been really hard for a healthy man to, to carry and Jesus on the point of being unconscious certainly can't carry it. So a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus. I love how scripture is so specific because the people of the time that may have been doubting the story, they could have actually gone and asked this man. He would have been after the story, uh, after seeing what had happened, people as witnesses, this man would have been very well known because here he is carrying the Savior's cross. And he was passing by in from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. The reason why they called it the place of the skull is in this valley, overhanging the valley where there was a cliff that when you looked at it from the side, looked like a skull. And so this place would have been very well known because all the people that were going to be crucified, this is where they went to be crucified, just outside the city walls. And they offered him wine and mixed with 
with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. See, this was a terrible and awful way to die. And it starts with many artists' depiction of this scene. You'll see Jesus wearing some type of linen, some type of clothes. And the artists do that because they cared about modesty. But what actually happened, the people and the officials, they cared nothing about modesty. They wanted to humiliate the person as much as possible. So what really happened is that Jesus had nothing on. And here he is in front of a crowd going through an awful and painful ordeal. Typically, with most crucifixions, they would have tied the hands to the cross. They would have tied the feet to the cross because that actually makes someone suffer more. It makes them endure, endure more. But Pilate at the time was dealing with so much from the Roman, Roman officials that he really wanted the process to go quick. Now, it didn't go super quick, and Jesus still endured a great amount of excruciating pain because his hands and feet were nailed to the cross. They would have taken a five-inch nail and gone through each palm and gone through, uh, gone through his feet with a single nail. And in order for him to be able to even breathe on the cross, see, everyone died from crucifixion, uh, from, on a crucifixion from suffocation. In order for him to even breathe, he would have had to arch his back and push down on the nail that was inside of his feet so that he could get a breath. And he would have to go back and forth doing that with his legs and his arms cramping like crazy and him dealing with the loss of blood from all of the whippings that he had gotten from the cross, from the nail from the cross. This was excruciating. This was awful. This was terrible. And he had to endure it for our sake. Remember, he, he's not the victim. He, he's a volunteer for us. He's a seeking and saving Savior because he saw us in our sin. Jesus dies for our sins. In verse 26, it says, The written notice of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. And this is really Pilate's way to, to show and, uh, that, that, he, that he was uh, the king of the Jews and is actually a little bit of a taunt to the religious leaders that he was the king of the Jews. And they crucified true robbers with him, one on the right and one on, on his left. And this would have been really interesting for the robbers because, remember, Jesus took the place of the notorious thug murderer Barabbas. And this, these two people on his right and left would have probably been his, Barabbas' accomplices. And so they go up on the cross expecting to see their leader, Barabbas, and here they see Jesus. That's interesting. Verse 28 is not in the earliest and best manuscripts. I like to think of this as the first ever autocorrect. You ever have autocorrect happen to you? I, I had this happen to me recently. I was sending a text uh, home to my wife and it said, I'll be home in 15 minutes. I'll be home in 15 minutes. It autocorrects to this, I'll be home in 15, Kim. <laughs> My wife's name is Christy. So she texts back, who's Kim? <laughs> it was autocorrect, I swear. You see, with the scribes, as they're going through scripture, they would write little notes about other scriptures. And verse 28 was actually a quote from Isaiah 53 uh, that wasn't in the earliest manuscripts, but you can imagine a scribe making notes as he's copying the scriptures by hand. 
that he make a little note on the side. And that's the cool thing about scriptures is we have lots of different early manuscripts to compare one another with. And we see in most of the earliest manuscripts that verse 28 isn't there. But verse 28 uh, says, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says he was counted with the lawless ones. It actually is true. It's actually a true statement of what happened, uh, but it's not in the earliest um, and best manuscripts, so we typically don't include it. Verse 29 continues, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build in the three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. You see, when Jesus was teaching in the temple so firmly, he made mention that he was going to rebuild the temple in three days. They still were thinking the actual physical temple, but he was talking about himself where he does resurrect in three days. And they continue to hurl insults on him. And the Greek word for hurling insults on someone is the word um, uh, blatismo, which means blasphemy. That's where we get the word blasphemy. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were mocking him. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. They also blasphemed. See, all these religious leaders, they didn't realize that Jesus had to be on the cross. They didn't realize that he had to be there to suffer for our sin, for the weightiness of all the ways that we've gone against him. See, they just thought, hey, if you're saying that you're God, why don't you come down from there? The reality is, is that he could. He's an omnipotent God. He was God on earth. He could have came down from that cross in an instant. But he chose to be there for us so that we could be forgiven of sins, so that we wouldn't have to be crucified in our sins, so that we could be set free. Jesus dies for our sins, and, and that changes everything. And there Jesus is on the cross at the sixth hour, which would have been noon, at the time where the sun would have been brightest in the sky, darkness comes over the whole world. See, in that moment, the light of the world was quenched as he had separation from his heavenly father, as he was taking on all the sin. See, Jesus is the light of the world. Do you ever wonder why we light Christmas trees at Christmas time? Do you ever wonder why we go crazy like uh, Clark Griswold and decorate our houses with all kinds of lights? It's because Jesus is the light of the world. And we were proclaiming the light to a dark world. But in that moment, that light was put out. Darkness came over the whole land. And as that darkness came over the whole land, something so powerful, so amazing, we could hardly grasp it with our human minds happened, that Jesus' righteousness covered the sin of those who believed. And so now the Heavenly Father doesn't see us in our sin, doesn't see us all the ways that we've fallen short. He sees us as righteous. If you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, won't you do that this morning? You see, sin, our sin is awful. Our sin is terrible. It was a huge price that Christ had to pay. That's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus provided a way for us to come out of our sin, to be covered in his righteousness by the blood that he shed on the cross. 
and by how he rebuilt the temple, how he rose from the dead three days later. If you want to trust in Christ and not yourself anymore, if you want Jesus to take your sin and for you not to have to face punishment for your sin, put your trust in Christ. It's not real complicated to do. All you have to do is tell God that you're a sinner, that you've fallen short, and that you want to trust him. And I know for some of you that's really scary, but at least for me, it was so much more scary to think about me answering for my sin. All the ways I've gone against God. I took some time this week and just thought about ways I've sinned against God this week. And I started typing them out and I kept typing and I kept typing and I kept typing. You know what I did? I just gave up. I just realized, you know what? I'm a sinner. And I've fallen short in lots of different ways. And I desperately need Jesus. And what it led me to do is it led me to be so thankful. And that's what I want to challenge you this week is to thank him this week. Is to thank him for what he's done on the cross. To thank him that you're no longer in your sin. You're seen as a saint. You're seen as righteous. Yes, we still struggle with sin, but that's not how our Heavenly Father sees us anymore. And that we're to proclaim his goodness, proclaim his George, proclaim his gospel to an unbelieving world. I mean, this is what Jesus did with the most precious resource that he had, his breath at the time. Remember, people die from suffocation on the cross. And here he is with his last breath, proclaiming the gospel one more time. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And everyone there would have known what he was saying. He was quoting Psalm 22. And all he had to do was say that first line, and everyone there would have been like, whoa. He is quoting a prophetic psalm from King David. And what King David prophesied is actually happening now. And they would have known all that scripture. They would have memorized all that scripture. They would have known. See, unfortunately in our day, uh, when we say the first line of scripture, often many of us can't say the rest of it. But we can do it with jingles, can't we? I mean, let me, pr let me prove it to you. What happens if I say, the best part of waking up? How about, give me a break, give me a break, break me off a piece of that? See, you guys can memorize scripture. You memorize silly jingles. And that's what happened here with the people. They had memorized the scripture in Psalm 22, this prophetic psalm about what Jesus was going to do and what he was doing in that moment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night I am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In your Father's and in your fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried out to you and were saved. And you they trusted and were not disappointed. I am but a worm and not a man, scorned by men, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He who trusts in the Lord, let the Lord rescue him. Let him, let him deliver him since he delights in him. And the last verse of Psalm 22 says, they will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. And that's what I want you to do this week is just take some time and be thankful for all the ways that Jesus dies for your sins. And then proclaim him. 
proclaim him because he has done it. And I know for some of you here this morning, you're going through an unbelievably painful time. You're going through hurting, you're going through suffering, you're looking at your calendar and you're looking at all the things that you have to do and you're feeling overwhelmed. Some of you are uh, looking at something that you have to do with your family members or some family that are coming to town and you're really dreading it deep down. You know you have to put on the smile and you don't know how to handle that, you don't know what to do. There may be a relationship hurt or financial strain and you're feeling the weight of all of that. Well, I want you to know that Jesus felt all of that weight. He is not a faraway God. He has not left you alone in his sorrow, in your sorrow. He took all of that on him on the cross and to be able to thank him for it and realize that we are victorious in him is an unbelievable thing that you can do, especially in the midst of all the chaos that's going on around us. My family and I went out to eat lunch yesterday, and we had a great time. And it's always a little bit of an adventure taking three kids out to eat, but we had a great time uh, eating together. And at the end of the meal, you know what happened? The waitress came over and said, someone paid your tab. That's amazing. Isn't that awesome? You go out, and I'm expecting to, to pay money for the meal, and someone paid it. And I'm so thankful for the people that, that paid it. But even more so, I'm so thankful for what Jesus paid. Because that list of sins, the list of things that I've done wrong, he paid it all for me and for you. And this is who you are if you're a believer in Christ. Jesus dies for your sins so you can be these things. All these things are, are from scripture. That I'm blameless and free of accusation that I'm firmly rooted in Christ and now being built up in him. I've been made complete in Christ. You are not lacking in any way. Jesus makes you complete. You've been buried, raised, and made alive with Christ. You're an expression of the life of Christ because he is your life. You're chosen by God, holy and dearly loved. I'm a son of God and not of darkness. I've been given the spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. I've been saved and set apart according to God's doing. I'm a holy partaker of a heavenly calling. I've been born again. I'm a member of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. That's who you are in Christ. I'm an alien and stranger to this world in which I temporarily live. All the things that really stink about this life, all the things that are really hard, sometimes life is hard, isn't it? This is our temporary home as a believer in Christ. One day we'll experience the freedom of being in eternal life with no suffering, no pain, just pure joy, pure peace. I've been given exceedingly great and precious promises by God, for which I'm a partaker of God's divine nature. I'm forgiven on the account of Jesus' name. I'm anointed by God. Each and every one of you has giftedness that God has put in your life so that you could proclaim God's goodness. I'm forgiven on the account of Jesus' name. I'm a child of God and I'll resemble Christ when he returns. I am loved. For many people, especially the holiday season, can be a very, very lonely time. I want you to know no matter how how much you might be lacking earthly relationships, you are loved by the Heavenly Father. 
like Christ, you have life. You've been born of God, and the evil one, the devil, cannot touch me. You have been redeemed. See, Jesus dies for our sins. And when Jesus dies for our sins, we get to experience what it's like to be in Christ. What he experienced on that cross was terrible and was awful because our sin is terrible and awful. But he took that on him and he defeated it victorious and rose from the dead. Aren't you glad that Jesus dies for your sins? Let's pray together. Lord, I'm so grateful, so unbelievably, exceedingly grateful that you died for my sins. I'm so grateful that you've done that for so many others too. Lord, I pray that we would be thankful this week for what you've done. Lord, I know that there are people here in here this morning that never put their faith and trust in you. I know part of the reason why they haven't done that is because of believers. Because we've been too overzealous. Because we've been hypocritical. Because we haven't lived thankful lives. Because we are sinners. And Lord, I want to ask for forgiveness to them and to you for not always being an example of what it means to be a Christ follower. But I'm so thankful, God, that that's actually the point. If we had it all together, we wouldn't need you. So I pray for those in here that they would see you, Lord. They would see you and what you've done. And they would consider that. And they would consider you for their salvation. Lord, I'm so grateful that you die for our sins. And I pray that we would be a church that would smile a little bit more. That we'd have a little bit more joy this week. That we'd be a little bit more thankful and that people would notice and that we'd be bold enough to share the reason why we're so thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.